Welcome into the Swish Report. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I'm Dan, back here with Kev. Yes, sir. And we got some fun NBA topics to go over today. Let's get to it. Lonzo Ball, who other than Lonzo Ball to start off the show? Of course. Last night, he had a fantastic game of 20 points, 6 rebounds, and 11 assists, but the Pelicans didn't get the win. He also had 3 steals and shot 6 for 9 from the field, including 4 for 5 from 3-point range, I believe. Now, what are your thoughts on Lonzo? I, I know that you put that Lonzo's back. You, you said Lonzo's back, and I disagree with that. Usually, I would be like, he's back, baby. He's the best. But now, I, I kind of have a different stance on that. And my view on this is, like, yes, he had a great game last night, and I was I was super happy to see that him finally like being confident in his shot. Even though he, he didn't even have ten shot attempts, he still had under ten. And he had nine. Um, but I, I've been very frustrated with him this year, which is and that's been very very hard for me as a huge Lonzo Ball supporter and fan. Uh huh. One year ago, or even in his rookie season, I could have vouched that he was going to be one of the top point guards in the NBA in in just a couple of years to come and. And why he's so good, why he's changing the the league, why he's changing the Lakers franchise and now with the Pelicans. And I could have made that argument, and I was huge on it. Now, today, it's a lot harder for me to do that. It is so much harder. Um, and that's because I've just grown – I've been so patient with him. All of his fans and supporters have. I've been so patient, but his durability has been just awful. This, I mean, he's missed so many games already this year. And it, last night was his first – uh, 20 point game of the season which I, I would have liked for it to come earlier but I'm, I'm glad he finally got it and he's kind of scoring a little bit more um, but with all of the young point guards in the league now it's so hard to vouch for him as the future as the future of point guards in the NBA as the future of floor generals it is so much harder when you have a guy like Trey Young who has exceeded expectations in his rookie season and now this season where in his only a second season, he's leading the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, he's the face of that franchise, kind of like they wanted Lonzo to be with the Lakers. And given they're very different franchises, but Trey Young is now putting up MVP numbers this season. I, I mean, in only his second season, you see all of these other rookies, like Luka Doncic, even though he's not a point guard, um, how he's been performing. And all of these young guys who are just going off, John Moran. And, and so that's why it's just been so hard for me to vouch for Lonzo. Even Kobe White on the Bulls has been like shooting fantastic uh, percentages from three-point range and is having some awesome stat lines. I mean, at least at the start of the season he was. And when you have guys like Zach Levine, there are so many young point guards that I feel like have kind of just emerged this season. It's just gotten so much harder to vouch for Lonzo as the future. I still love him, and um, and I think he's a great player. I think he's one of the best passers in the league. I just have to see more from him now, and he's got a lot to prove for me to believe again that he's the future of point guards in the NBA. So what are your thoughts on his game last night and and really just Lonzo overall this season and his future? Give me your general thoughts on that. Yeah, so quickly, I know you uh, uh, brought up young point guards, and even though he's hurt right now, he's always going to get compared to uh, De'Aaron Fox because of what happened uh, in those Kentucky-UCLA matchups right. uh, when they were both freshmen. Um, but back to what you were saying about what do we think about Lonzo in these last few games – um, durability is definitely an issue, and we're seeing this come to fruition this year. He's missed a lot of games, and it's really frustrating because, like you said, for Lonzo fans like us, we want to see him out there on the floor. And it's tough to build chemistry with your teammates if you're not really out there on the floor with your guys. And so for right now, for the Pelicans, I'm not really worried about them winning games. Um, mm-hmm. I know this isn't really the final product for them. 
Zion is still um, struggling with his injury. Uh, they expect to have him back this year, but even if he's not back this year, you know that's that's what's going to be the full product. And for Lonzo in particular, the reason I say Lonzo is back is because I feel like this might be the start of him kind of having kind of having an emergence as uh, a player and getting into his role. And obviously, that's going to have to come with consistency, being on the court, being durable, and that kind of thing. But I mean, these last few games that he's been back, the last three games. Um, he played against the Thunder, the Mavericks, and the Suns. Against the Mavs, he only had six points, but against the Thunder, he had 14. And last night, he had 20. And I just feel like I'm seeing a new confidence in the jump shot. Even though, um, you know, he might not be facilitating as much, he had the 11 points or the 11 assists uh, right. last night. But in the other uh, games, he didn't really have that many assists. I think I'm seeing a, a new confidence in his jumper. And hopefully that can just be the start of something like of him realizing his role on this team. You know, maybe he might be not might not be that dominant ball handler. Maybe that's Drew Holiday on this team. But I feel like Lonzo, he just needs to gain his confidence and keep shooting with the ball with confidence and also come into his defensive role too. I thought that was a huge thing that I saw last night. I mean, he's just engaged on defense. He's getting around screens, you know, getting his hand up, talking on defense and all that kind of stuff. And so seeing him have that many points and assists is it really just and, and shoot that well from the field, too. Like, that's the other thing that's always been the problem with him. Like, he hasn't been able to shoot well from the field. And even though he was 6 for 9, yeah. you know, we talked about, um, you know, him getting more shots up. I like the assertiveness in his jumper, and I like the, the confidence he had in his jumper. So yeah. I can I can definitely see the frustration that you have with him, though. You know, just looking at his peers mm-hmm. and everything that's going on. But, you know, it, one thing about the NBA is that not everybody has to take the same path. You know what I mean? Like, some people are going to be ahead of the curve, ahead of the learning curve. You can tell, like, Luka just figured it out, like, so early. Right. You know, Trey Young, even in the and same season, it, it took him a little bit, a little while. And that's probably because of his development, like, in Europe, too, and, like... Yeah, being a pro for so long. Yeah, and, and it's just Lonzo's injuries. I mean, he's played 14 out of the 22 games for the Pelicans this year. I mean, already missing 10 games and just the first 22. I, I think that's just ridiculous. And and we've talked about this before, but he, the guy who he, ha- he and his family had a feud with, Alan Foster kind of predicted this and said like like he did not take care of himself before the shoes and like the drills that LeVar had him doing running on like hills or whatever like screwed up their knees and like it may it, it very well could not be that but right now it's looking like it he's right like it, yeah. and, it, and it's unfortunate it's, it's so annoying I mean I look at the scores after the Pelicans play and I try to look for Lonzo and I'm like and, and as I'm about to press it I'm thinking to myself like I'm not really expecting a lot right now. Yeah. And, and that's why it's been disappointing for me. It's, it's like when I'm about to press it, I say to myself, like, because like, I always check his stat line. It's like, okay, let's see how he's doing. And it's like, I'm not expecting much. It's either he didn't play for some weird reason or um, or he just didn't have a great game or he had, a, like, another weak stat line where he wasn't having confidence in his shot. And it, so it's just very disappointing. Um, I mean, the game before last night where he played against the Mavericks – he only had six points and three assists and six rebounds, and he shot twenty percent from three point range and two for ten on three pointers overall. Ten out of his twelve shots were three pointers. He shoot like I like that he has confidence in his three point shot, but he's got to take more twos. He's got to get to the basket. That's yeah, what made especially him so when it's not good. falling. It's ridiculous. It, that's what made him so good in high school. It's like I, he's such a smarter player than this. That's what's made him. That's why I, I've loved him is because of his intelligence in the game, his high IQ for basketball, and that's something I haven't seen. So far this season, now he picked it up a little bit um, last night in the game, but still the majority of his shots are from three point range. Five out of his nine attempts were from three point range. 
uh, and they just happened to fall, which was nice. But I, I want to see him drive to the basket a lot more, and he's got to have more than nine shot attempts. He really does. I've said that before. Um, I, it feels like I've been saying it all season, but he's got to start picking it up. It's it's honestly getting very frustrating. Us Lonzo fans have been very patient with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on from the New Orleans Pelicans, um, I want to talk about the NBA ratings and how a post a little while ago, according to sideline sources, kind of said uh, this was about a week or maybe two weeks ago, showed this the ratings um, from major TV stations. So I'm going to read it, and, and it's been a major decrease so far this season. On TNT, their NBA TV ratings um, have been down 23%. That's on TNT. ESPN is down 20%. And then regional sports networks are down 13%. So it's all decreasing, and it's very odd because coming into the season, I was thinking to myself, like, like this is probably... I, I I said so many times like we're I think we're in store for the most exciting NBA season in history of basketball and, sure. and I, I was so hyped for for it and I think we were now what do you think has led to this this decrease and uh, and it could be like in terms of technology or like the injuries in the NBA like how De'Aaron Fox Gordon Hayward Kyrie um, a lot of players are injured and like it's kind of taking away some of the attention and, and that stinks but. Also, the technology, like how people maybe aren't using TV anymore, like streaming on their phones, it could be like part that. But what do you think? What, what yeah. What's your explanation for this? I think there's a multitude of factors. So one of the factors I think is the biggest one is a lot of the media and even some of us as fans, we kind of have this um, this mindset that the regular season isn't really that important. You know what I mean? Everything comes down to the playoffs. And I think that's kind of had to do with load management a little bit. There's been some national TV games where guys like Kawhi Leonard don't play or maybe Anthony Davis sits a night out, things like that. And so that's led to the decrease in ratings. But such a large drop, like it, like in TNT you said 23% and ESPN 20%, it's not just going to be because of that. And so there's other factors that go into it. Uh, I think one of them could be that the Pelicans got a lot of um, – games on national TV, and a lot of people thought that Zion was going to play, and that's why uh, they wanted um, the Pelicans to be on national TV a lot. So the injuries definitely are a big part of that, I think especially for the teams that are on there a lot, you know, like the Celtics, the Pelicans, uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then also just, like, the games in general. Like, some of these games have been so lopsided, especially with the Clippers on there. Like, they're just destroying teams out there. They've won, like, two games by 40 points, like, putting up 150 points in regulation which yeah. is insane so i think that uh when we see those more competitive games start to pop up you know especially the games on like christmas i know the uh sixers play the bucks lakers play the clippers those should be huge games i think overall the lakers um have had really high ratings um even though the rest of the league has you know seen droppages and things like that and then also like you said you know a lot of a lot of people are you know streaming from either different services you know you got um the espn app uh, I know Bleacher Report is doing some, yeah, Disney Plus with the Hulu package <laughs> no, I'm, and all I'm that. Kidding, I'm kidding. And you know, you know, to a to a lesser degree, to a lesser degree, there's like illegal streams out there, and I think people oh, yeah. are taking uh, advantage of that. That's true. That's which kind of stinks a good for the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, for these major TV companies. Um, did you know Hulu has live sports by the way? Hulu has live sports. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then I think maybe even to a lesser degree. Um, I don't know if this. I don't know if these ratings that you're talking about account just for national ratings, but I know that um, the scandal that well, not really the scandal, but the Daryl Morey tweet in China, um, it may have had uh, a lot of the Chinese viewers uh, watch a lot less 
um, NBA or even boycott the NBA uh, because they didn't really like, um, you know, the tweet that he sent out. So that could also be a factor. Yeah, I don't even know what's going on. I, I wasn't thinking of that, but I don't know what's going on there. I, I think that's this whole that whole thing like it's gone now but that was blown way out of proportion yeah i think i think it was just way out of control like yes he's a huge figure in the nba but i don't know that that just got crazy i'm not even gonna speak to that but anyways let's move on so the knicks had some very recent news david fisdale has been fired as head coach of the new york Knicks. finally after going (laughs) four eight and four and 18 to start the season four and 18 which is just awful um and interestingly enough recent news reported a few days ago um, was that people in the Raptors organization think that Masai Ujiri will leave for the Knicks. Um, So that's pretty interesting. That was also heard through sideline sources. Um, They came out with the news from a reporter. And so that's very interesting. And I would love to see that happen. So I actually put that down before I heard the Fizdale news. So now it's it's very uh, ironic, I guess, that Fizdale was fired. Um, First, let's talk about Fizdale. Then we'll talk about the potential in Masai Ujiri coming to New York. But David Fisdell, um has finally been fired, and how do you think this will play out for the Knicks? Do you think it'll be better or worse? You start with that. Yeah, so with Fisdale, this is kind of surprising for me. I really thought that he was a good coach. Really? Um, you know, coming into this, I, I had only remembered him from the Grizzlies and, you know, the take that for data. Take um, that for data. In the, in the <laughs> press conference. Um, I, I kind of wanted him to come to the Sixers so that we could fire Brett Brown. But seeing him coach for the Knicks... Wait, you want to fire Brett Brown? You know, well, not fire. I don't, you don't like him? I, I like Brett Brown, but I don't think he should be a head coach. I think he should oh, be wow, more of a really? player I development actually, I like him. Uh, coach. Huh. But anyway, we, we can get to that. <laughs> but anyway, so... But but seeing him coach for the Knicks, there's just been a lot of questionable decisions being made there. Yeah. Um, I know with his rookie, R.J. Barrett, you know, people ask questions about why is R.J. playing so many minutes? Don't yeah. you want to preserve him for years to come? And he's like, oh, he's young. He can play a bunch of minutes. Yeah. You don't want your young player playing 38 minutes per game. Like, what's up with that? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. And then also, well, you, you can go to that if you want. Know. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, on your point of many questionable decisions, like, he totally has. Not only the R.J. Barrett thing, that was definitely uh, questionable. But also the the drama with Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank Nilakina. Yeah, at why the is Frank Nilakina starting over Dennis Smith Jr.? Like? Right. I mean, Smith is maybe getting he at the beginning of the season at least he was getting a couple minutes, and then of course he had that family issue, um, which was which kind of uh, hindered his playing time. But like that that whole situation has been weird, and then he hasn't been playing guys who have kind of excelled. Alonzo Trier, for example, a young guy out of Arizona, uh, he's been putting up very good shooting percentages from three point range, the free throw line, and just on overall shots and. He hasn't been playing him at like almost at all. There are just so many odd things that Fizdale has been doing. I that's funny that you thought he was a good coach. I've never really been a big fan of him. And when we hired him, I was a little confused. I was like, I'm not really crazy about that. Um, he won a championship with the Heat as an assistant coach when in the LeBron Heat era, right? And yeah. then went to the Grizzlies and had their famous take that for data line. Then yeah, left, they were all right. Yeah, no, they they weren't anything special though. Yeah. And then left the Grizzlies and now was hired by New York. I did not like that um, acquisition as head coach at all at the beginning. Like, I thought it was just overrated. And he's been so disappointing this season, 4-18 and 18 again. So Yeah, even in a recent game, I, you know, I watched a lot of the Sixers games. They were playing us, and the, they looked good. You know, the, the last time they had played us, they had a lead about, of about 17 in the first half. They ended up blowing it. Or 17 in the second half, which they ended up blowing to us. Um but the second time we played them in New York, they had been doubling MB the entire game. 
And then for some reason, halfway through the fourth quarter, they just left Mitchell Robinson on an island to try to guard Embiid. And Embiid ended up getting him fouled out, and the Sixers came back and won. And I kind of made the joke that, you know, if you're doubling somebody the whole game and it's working and you have the lead, like, why we go away from it? And I was like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They're, they're probably just tanking or whatever. But no, no, they do not. They were not <laughs> cool with this. And especially after that, what was it, 37 or 40 point loss the other mm-hmm. day, they, it seems like the organization's just had enough. So. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if they just stay with an interim coach or if they try to hire somebody else. I'm just excited to see another coach for the Knicks. I it's been miserable in New York. They've been being they've been getting blown out by so many teams and it's not like their team is so bad. I mean it like it's not like it's the era where they had Alexi Fed, that European guy as starting point guard, <laughs> and then Lou Amidson who was missing uh one foot finger rolls, not only missing but <laughs> airballing, you remember that video? Yeah. And, and and all these just joke plays. Not like they have a terrible roster. Yes, they're young, and maybe they could have a little bit more experience, but they still have a solid team in Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, Alonzo Trier, DSJ, Frank Nilakina, Mitchell Robinson. I mean, there's potential there. Uh, and then with the big Julius Randle and, and Taj Gibson, guys like that. Bobby Morris Portis. has been having a, an awesome season, yeah, too. Yeah, Bobby Portis, too. I mean, it's not like they have a terrible roster. So... While they shouldn't be like the top team in the Eastern Conference, they shouldn't be four and eighteen. So I'm hoping that with the move of getting Fizdale out of there and with transitioning into a new head coach, whether it's interim or they find someone, I'm excited to just see a different Knicks like offense. I are really just play style throughout the whole game, and I'm hoping um, the team can get better. I mean, and then yes, also sorry. about uh, Ujiri. So that's really interesting. I didn't. So people within the organization think that. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know if we. I don't know if he can save this organization. Uh, I know you guys are a little, you know, raggedy over there. I don't know what's going on, you know, with Dolan and everything. But but anyway, take it easy. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, like I, it would definitely be a step in the right direction. We've seen what this guy did uh, with the Raptors. You know, you can you can say what you want about him getting lucky with the um, the injuries that the Warriors had, and you know, capitalizing on that trade. Yeah, that wasn't but luck. You I, can tell. Yeah. You can tell he he knows what he's doing and. I think it would definitely be a step in the right direction for this organization, which has just been known for dysfunction in the past few years. It was reported, uh, just to get the specific source of this news, by Steve Popper. Um, He's a journalist or reporter um, familiar with the Raptors, and so he reported that news that was then shared by Sunline Sources. But, um, yeah, I think this would be great, having this guy. I mean, he made that trade that was, I mean, so controversial, trading DeMar DeRozan, the franchise player who had given his heart to that organization. I mean, it's it's a business, so I'm not, obviously, it's not. Into getting swept by the Cavs and LeBron. Uh, yeah, so it clearly wasn't working, and you had a coach of the year in Dwayne Casey, and you had two awesome players in DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, and and he, and he kind of just said, okay, we got to change something up here. And he also, with Jonas Valanciunas, a, a solid five, um, and he changed it up. He got Kawhi Leonard, traded Valanciunas and CJ Miles, which was also questionable. He made a series of transactions throughout the season that created that awesome team that ended up winning a championship. So he's a fantastic GM. And I think that going the next, he could really make some moves and make some things happen. Um, even though I would like to see them be patient with the young core they have in New York, those other guys, who those random signings that they had throughout the season, all those big men, that could really be huge in trade packages. So, uh-huh. so that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to, or, or not looking forward to, if that happens. That's, that's what I would love to see. So that that's kind of exciting. And um, finally, some action going on in New York. Moving on, let's talk about the Lakers. So they've all obviously been off to a great start. They're number one in the Western Conference 
with a record of 19-3. and um, But they've had one of the easiest schedules so far in the league. And LeBron says that he feels better. He's playing great basketball so far throughout the season. And he's not really taking too much like load management. I mean, you don't really see that from LeBron. Um, him and AD are doing great together. And you saw that travel the other night, yeah. right, in Utah? That, that was it, hilarious. He didn't really look too sharp there. It, it was funny because he <laughs> said that he's feeling better than ever and that his mind is super sharp, you know, uh, way sharper than it was at the beginning of his career. And then he comes out and does the, the Utah. Yeah, the he takes a dribble Utah. and then just carries it. And they didn't even call it, too. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, when, when when you're the greatest, like, you can get away with that type of stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's not... Yeah, do you remember the uh, Westbrook one, the travel yeah. when he inbounded the ball against the Warriors and just like holds it like a football? And yeah, at least, his hand do, up. at least he didn't do that. It was, it was similar <laughs> though. It was like LeBron was lagging out there, two K lag. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was a two K lag. Yeah, it was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, all the like, uh, I think it was Bogdanovich or something. He was guarding him. Was like, oh, come on. Exactly. <laughs> like, that was hilarious. But yeah, anyways, the Lakers have been off to a great start this season, and AD is looking like the defensive player of the year so far. Talk about that for a little bit and, yeah. and his progression on the defensive end. For sure. He's looking like a defensive player of the year front runner right now. Um, you're seeing that the Lakers have been playing a weaker schedule in the in the West for them right now. Yeah. But they're they're nineteen and three and most of it is because of Anthony Davis's stifling defense in the paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now he's averaging two point seven blocks per game, which is second in the league. He's third in defensive rating, and he's second in defensive win shares. So even the advanced analytics are showing that these are not just empty stats for him in terms of, you know, the blocks and the steals, but his impact on the defensive end is pretty much the greatest out of anybody in the league right now, besides Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge part of the Lakers' success. And on the low-key side, people have been saying, oh, LeBron doesn't play defense like this anymore. But him and AD as a tandem have been almost unstoppable, like just blocking everything in the yeah. paint. Yeah. When you have guys like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard that come in, split minutes, and are fresh, like the Lakers lead the league in blocks. And even LeBron, who people say you know don't, doesn't play defense, is seventh in defensive win shares right now. So the defense as a team is looking insane. It's going to be interesting to see when their schedule kind of ramps up. Their only losses have been against the Clippers on opening night, right. the Raptors um, in L.A., in the, and the, um, the what, what Mavericks also beat them in Oh, LA. right, Luka Doncic yeah. took over that game, yeah. So I definitely want to see that Christmas matchup, them versus the, uh, the Clippers. Um, That's going to be fun. Paul George will be playing in this one, even though the, they already beat them without um, – the Clippers already beat the Lakers without Paul George. Right. But with AD but focused But it might change in, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, the chemistry that him and LeBron are developing in that pick and roll and AD locked in on defense like this. Yeah. I mean, this is like rookie year AD. It, it almost looks like Kentucky AD, the way he's blocking jump shots, like flying everywhere. Yeah, like he's there playing against even, college kids, yeah. Yeah, there was even a play in that uh, Mavericks game where Bogdanovich caught him on a pump fake and AD like jumped almost into the stands and Bogdanovich kind of gathered to shoot again and AD came from out of bounds and blocked and tipped the the ball anyway on the three. Wow. Like that was insane. Like that just reminded me of the 2012 turning on Sports Center and seeing AD block that's shot, awesome. Block jump shots out of anywhere. I love that. Yeah, it's Kentucky. like he's, it's just he's got this new kind of energy to him. Yeah, he has and a new kind of flair. Another low key thing to uh, to look out for is that AD has been pretty healthy this year. You know, he's he's playing some back to back, sitting out others. 
but I definitely think that LeBron is going to have him on that system that whatever he's on with the $1 million spent on rehab and all that, trying to keep AD healthy and, you know, just leading to a longer career and uh, even being fresh in the playoffs. So as long as they're blowing out teams, they'll be fresh. They, they won't even need load management. You saw LeBron on the sideline, no shoes on, yeah. you know, getting hype, had already given out his shoes. Utah Jazz and was <laughs> getting angry at him, frust- like frustrated at what he's doing. Yeah, like that, like... If I'm a team, that is a solution to load management. If you're good, just blow teams out and sit out the fourth quarter. Like that's that's your load management. That's hilarious. Right that's a, that's that's great right there. Yeah, if that, that's how you deal with load management, crush opponents so that your superstars don't have to play the the part of the third quarter and fourth quarter. Exactly. That's how you do it. The remarkable um, part, I'd, I'd say, the most remarkable part about this Lakers team, though, is that you know three or four months ago we're sitting here and we're like the Lakers have like three or four people rostered. Like, what is this bench going to look like? Yeah, They're going to have no yeah. depth. And you see guys like Dwight Howard, Troy Daniels, yeah. Alex Caruso, Rondo, Kuzma stepping up on the bench and yeah. like being able like LeBron can come out and like not worry about giving up the whole lead. You know what I mean? Right. Because these guys have been pretty good. It's always I for some reason I always laugh when like you mentioned Alex Caruso there, Caruso. but it's, it's not like he's actually good though. I mean he's doing well. You see all these like putback jams that he's doing. Like he's he's a great player. I don't. It's just so memeable. I, don't, yeah. I, I just laugh when I hear the name. But you're but you're definitely right on that. They people question this team at the beginning of the season because of their depth or lack of, and now they prove this season that it's it's pretty much working for them. They're nineteen to three, number one in the West. And yes, their schedule hasn't been the most difficult, but they're crushing opponents right now, and it doesn't look like anyone's going to stop them. So I'm looking forward to that Christmas Day matchup between the Clippers and Lakers, and things can change from the first game of the season on opening night uh, to about thirty games in. I mean, yes, sir. Many many things can change. So it's, it's going to be very fun to watch that and very entertaining. I'm excited for the Christmas Day games. Rondo's got AD as his uh, MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. This ah. year. He, he made a statement recently saying that. I don't know about that, but that's just kind of supporting what you were just saying about his, his uh, just absolutely dominant play on the defensive end. So I'm really loving this new energy. Let's take a quick break. and we, When we get back, we're going to talk about the secret formula that has been unveiled by Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Be back in a sec. Welcome back into the Swiss Report, and we're going to talk about the Raptors and an interesting defensive scheme that they recently showcased against James Harden and the Rockets. So, Kevin, this was a really fun game to watch, and, and, and not as much fun, but super interesting. I was I was immediately just so fascinated by Nick Nurse and the Raptors. So l- let me get to it, and let me explain kind of what happened. So Raptors and Rockets are matched up. Obviously, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Rockets. James Harden has been going off. I mean, absolutely off. He just had 60 points in three quarters um, and, and just two games before. So the Raptors obviously need to try and contain him, and that's exactly what they did. They did something that no other team has done um, by putting a new defensive scheme um, on him or, or to try and control him. So they would keep one guy, uh, which was mostly Ananobi, OG Ananobi throughout the game, uh, by Harden's side the whole time. And then right when he passed half court, they would immediately double team him. It was usually Fred Van Fleet that would run up right when he passed the half court line and go there for the double team, forcing Harding to pass the ball um, immediately when he passed half half court. And the result of this was very effective. I mean, it, it was clearly so effective on this guy who's been going off and is really the leader of this team. So the Rockets still ended up winning the game. They won 119-109. to 109. But Harden only ended up with 23 points 
which is still a good amount, but he ended up with 23 points while only having 11 shot attempts, uh-huh. making seven of them. And that's the big part to kind of focus on is the 11 shot attempts. So just to put this into perspective, um, Harden has been averaging 39.5 points per game on 24.8 shot attempts per game. 24.8. He's been averaging 14.3 shot attempts from three-point range per game. So he had less shot attempts overall in the game against the Raptors than he has averaged from the three-point line this season. Um, And that just goes to show how, I mean, his shot attempts decreased tremendously with his new defensive scheme. And what's important to note also is that he still played over 40 minutes in the contest. It's not like he had a reduced role or anything. Right. Like, he was still in the game trying to get a bucket, like, like trying to help his team win. So he still played a lot. And what's so fascinating about this is that Toronto wasn't necessarily able to shut him down but contain him because he still ended up with a decent sideline. So, but they were able to contain him. Um, and still, uh, Harden still ended the night with a solid stat line. He had 23 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and 5 steals on 7 for 11 shooting. But the game before facing Toronto, he had 50 points and 9 assists along with 6 rebounds. And in the game before that, he had 60 points through 3 quarters as well as 8 assists. So while they didn't win, it seems like Nick Nurse has discovered the formula that so many teams have coveted on how to contain James Harden, um, who has had an MVP-type season for the second season in a row. And I'm looking forward to seeing if other teams will be able to adapt to this style in the future. What, what were your thoughts on the defensive scheme? So really interesting point about this here. Um, when Nick Nurse first came in as the coach of this team after they fought, uh, fired Dwayne Casey, a lot of people were like, oh, who is this guy? You know, is he, is he, is he good coach material? Is he going to be able to take this team, you know, deep in the playoffs and stuff like that? And, you know, there's still kind of a, a sentiment that, oh, this team got carried by Kawhi all the way through the playoffs. But we're really seeing more and more how technically savvy and how very good of a coach Nick Nurse is in terms of bringing up these schemes against different teams. Um, this is something new that it's it's crazy that other teams haven't tried this before. Uh, we know the Clippers tried double teaming him right at the top of the key, but that doesn't work because you know once he's at the top of the key, there's just too many options you know for him to go left, right, pass, left, right. And this scheme right here kind of forced him to the side, you know, forced him to one side or the other, and then doubled him past half court. So Nick Nurse really came in with a, a very nice scheme. But the main thing about this scheme is that even though the Rockets won this game, it wasn't James Harden that really beat the Raptors, you know, in this game. Mm-hmm. It was Ben McLemore. And that's exactly who you want to make beat you on the on the on the Rockets. Right, he had twenty eight points. Exactly. You look at the you look at this box score, as you mentioned, Harden only took eleven shots, right? Mm-hmm. Ben McLemore was 9 for 18 and 8 for 17 from 3. He had one of the best games of his career. You know, 8 threes made, 28 points, a career high for him. They only won the game by 10 points, okay? Russell Westbrook, 7 for 27. Ugh. This is the guy that you you don't – it's not like you want Russell Westbrook to take the shots, but you'd rather Russell Westbrook put up 27 shots than James Harden put up 27 shots, you know, with like and score, 16 yeah. of those being threes and 8 of those going in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so – and the other important thing about this scheme was that uh, they did it without fouling him. 
So Harden was only yeah. six for six from the line. We know in that game against the Spurs that you mentioned, where yeah. he had 50 points, he, he was had, 24 for 24 exactly, yeah, yeah. and broke the record for most free throws made without a miss in a game. Right. Um, which 24 was free throws. 24, 24 free throws. It's insane. He shot horribly from the field in that game, but they let him get to the line so much that he was able to that they were able to stay in the game. Right. And the Rockets even protested that they should have won the game because of that dunk, which is which is weird. Yeah, um, that, that's a whole different controversy. But yeah. yeah. But so pretty much getting back to the main scheme. So you want to have guys other than Harden beat you. You look at P.J. Tucker. He was 6 for 12, shot more shots than Harden. He goes 5 for 10 from 3. You know, most of them were wide open. Ben McLemore shot 17 threes, 18 field goals. Daniel House, a, a, a guy off the bench that they just got from the G League last year, shot the same amount of shots as James Harden, 11 shots. That's exactly what you want to do to this team. You don't want James Harden you know, the MVP from two years ago to be the guy to beat you. So this is exactly like, you know, doubling a guy like Embiid in the post, you know, doubling a guy like Giannis as soon as he gets into the paint. Yeah. It's a very similar scheme. And we've seen him, we've seen Nick Nurse do this against other teams' great players. As I mentioned, Giannis in the playoffs, just taking away Giannis and forcing Eric Bledsoe to shoot threes. You right. know what I mean? That's exactly what we want to do. Take away Harden, yeah. force yeah. guys like Westbrook and McLemore and Tucker to hit threes. And if they do that, you tip your hat to them. And that was also uh, in the playoffs with Giannis, part in credit to Kawhi Leonard's outstanding defense on him and, and taking that awesome defense and that talent um, and over skill or over athleticism, like taking talent over athleticism. But also, like you mentioned, it, it's not like it was all just Kawhi. He tried the box and one on Steph Curry in the finals. Exactly. And, and that was another defensive scheme. So he's been trying a lot of these different kind of tactics against teams to beat teams, and it's awesome. Even though they didn't Take win, away that, their best player. Exactly, and even though they didn't win the other night, they found something that so many teams have desperately try, been trying to find, and, and which is awesome. So uh, it's going to be awesome to see um, if he's able to work that out in the future. I, they, yeah, they shut him down. And you mentioned the free throw. That's another thing I want to talk about. I didn't even know about that, and I wasn't thinking about that. That he only had six uh, attempts from the free throw line. Like like you mentioned, 24 free throw attempts against the Spurs. That's where he gets the majority of points. And, and people get annoyed at that. That's that's how he plays basketball. Nobody wants to see a free throw shooting competition. Yeah, exactly. You saw the fan yell at him. Right, exactly. I mean, people get annoyed at that. But that's how he drops 50 points, 60 points. That's how he, he was averaging 39.5 points per game before last night um, or whenever they played. Um, I, I think it was last night. But uh, that's how they have been able to stop him. So. Even though 23 points is still good, that's not very James Harden-esque. And having Ben McLemore lead the team in scoring is, is definitely what you want if you're the Raptors. So um, full credit to Nick Nurse. Too. That's awesome. Yeah, it's wild to see a, a scheme that actually partially worked. We saw teams last year, you know, standing behind Harden so that he couldn't make step-back threes. Like, that was like, – come did, on. Who did that? Was that – Was uh, that the Bucks or was that the – um? Uh, it wasn't the Bucks. No, it was Ricky Rubio. It was yeah, the yeah. It was Ricky. Jazz. Yeah, what was going on there? You just let him go right by. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, I was like, "What are you doing?" He, he stands back. They're like, "Oh, we're, they're not gonna let him get the step back." He just right. drives right, lower. right. But <laughs> du- but double teaming him right when he passed, right when he gets that first foot up across uh, the half court line, it doesn't let him get into his groove. Doesn't let him get into that that through the legs a few times step back motion. It doesn't let him get to where he wants so that very effective and definitely give definitely credit to d'antoni and the rockets it seems like they kind of caught on pretty quickly and those guys were able to play four four on three on the backside after that double team so very good adjustment on them but like like we said like definitely good strategy by the raptors to make somebody other than harden beat you absolutely so let's talk about carmelo anthony who's had great progress so far 
in the NBA. He already won the Western Conference Player of the Week in just his first week back, and that's a little debatable. Um, he won it over Luka Doncic, who's been playing out of his mind, as well as James Harden, who was averaging 42 points per game that week. So I, I don't think... <laughs> while it was cool to see that, um, and, and it was nice to see Carmelo Anthony having fun again and winning awards, it was his first one since he was on the Knicks uh, winning a, a Player of the Week award, it probably wasn't deserved by him. It was kind of like a welcome back award. Yeah, so. I definitely think it was an, a cool PR move uh, by the league. You know, definitely they're trying to get... Um, more excitement, more buzz about the league going on, you know, get these ratings up. And, you know, that leads to the game that's going on tonight, Blazers versus Lakers. Uh, a lot of people always talk about, you know, Melo versus LeBron ever since they got in the league. Um, I think Melo was third overall to the Nuggets, you know, behind Darko Milicic and LeBron <laughs> at, uh, at first overall. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that'll be an interesting game to see because the Blazers have been playing pretty well with Melo back. They started off the season a little sluggish. Right. And they, you know, in Melo's first week, you know, his stats were were very good. You know, even though he did play the Bulls twice, you know, it's the Bulls. Right. But you got to give credit for Melo being able to integrate into that system. And yeah. even when Dame came back, you know, still being able to get his shots, but also defer to Dame and CJ. Yeah, he's playing really well, and that's why he's been guaranteed a contract with the Trailblazers for the rest of the season. They've made that official uh, in recent news. But like you mentioned... It's not only that he's playing well and he's found his groove with shots and he's got good shot selections, high shooting percentages, but he's winning games. And the Portland Trailblazers, who were having a bad start to the season, even though Damian Lillard was putting up MVP-type numbers with, like, 50-point outings, they're winning games now. And that's the big thing that they wanted. It's not about Melo, like, excelling and doing well. It's about the team winning games, and that's exactly what's happening. So this new addition has obviously been effective, um, and he's obviously putting up good stats. You can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, so far since he's been back in the eight games, um, 17 points along with six rebounds, which you know may seem pedestrian, but for a starter, that's solid. Playing um, alongside Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Exactly. Right. Shooting 45% from the field, 39% from three, and 86 from free throws. So very good uh, shooting splits, especially with that low volume, as you mentioned. And getting to a spot 21, so you know... Uh, getting mismatches with, um, you know, as a stretch forward playing against maybe other slower fours, you know, getting by him a few times, getting some dunks. He had that dunk over Wendell Carter, which was insane. I didn't that was think cool. Melo had that bounce anymore. Yeah, me neither. And then, you know, once he once he sets that up, you know, you can set up the Hezo Melo and get to his spot oh, and gosh. just rise up over anybody. <laughs> I didn't think you know. he I don't think he ever had that bounce, by the way. Yeah. I, like anymore. I don't think he ever had that. I mean I mean Corn Corn Melo had a few posters at right. Syracuse and, and with the, the Nuggets, but yeah, once yeah, he got to the Knicks, you know, it's kinda but, you know, he was, still, he was very good on the Knicks. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm not, not going to come at the Knicks. But anyway, <laughs> you know, getting to his spots, getting that Hezo Mello off. Um, his, he has one of the best pull-up jumpers in the league. And just just picking and choosing his spots. It wasn't like in the Thunder where, like, he was just jacking threes just because, you know, he wanted to get his shots because Westbrook and PG were getting theirs. It wasn't like last year in the Rockets where it also seemed forced because James Harden had so many touches. It's kind of like... When Damon CJ aren't out there, mellow. You can you can take all the shots you want. You kind of take over as that bench, you know, that guy with the bench unit um, getting buckets. But once uh, Damon CJ come back, you know, we let them close. And if you have a mismatch, then we'll go to you. Well, he's playing with them, though, right? He's a starter? Yeah, he plays with them, but, like, they also stagger his minutes a little bit. So, like, okay. he'll start and finish with them. But, like, right. in the middle, that's where he they'll can get a lot of, of his Yeah, shots. they'll kind of take turns. Yeah. And that's, that's great, and that's very interesting because with other teams, we've – seeing that it hasn't worked that way and that it would be more effective if they put them on the B team when the starters weren't playing. Um, and now that Portland has kind of had this new setup where they're starting him and then kind of taking turns throughout it, which is allowing all of the great scorers on that team 
to kind of be freed up and, and play their own game, which is great. Also, speaking of the Blazers, Hassan Whiteside uh, has been playing pretty well too, and, and which is something we haven't seen from him in recent years. He's kind of been struggling a little bit in Miami ever since his outbreak um, a few years back. He had recently an 11-block game, which uh-huh. was fantastic, and that he didn't wild. get the triple-double because he also had 10 rebounds or over 10 rebounds, and he had, I think, yeah, six, like six, six or eight, eight points. Yeah. And I was like, come on, man. I, when I saw that selling, I was like, you couldn't get four more points? Are you right. kidding me? Like, come on. Um, it, it may have been eight points, but, yeah, it, it, that was a little disappointing. But he's obviously loving it there in Portland, and I'm so glad that they had that new addition. That's a great addition to that team. Yeah, one of the big knocks on Whiteside, uh, when he first uh, came onto the scene, he kind of talked about, well, I'm trying to get my 2K rating up and that yeah. kind of thing. And I he that, did really yeah. do a, a great job of getting his 2K rating up. Mm-hmm. But once, you know, he, we got around, you know, okay, he gets a lot of the offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. It's kind of like, is this guy working on his game? Like, is he going to ever expand his game? You look at guys like, you know, Joel Embiid and uh, Nikola Jokic and other bigs that are able to do other things. It's like, what's Hassan Whiteside working on? You know, in recent games, I've seen him taking mid-range jump shots, like, with confidence, making big men actually have to come out and guard him other than in the paint, which is weird to to think about Hassan Whiteside, but I feel like going to the Blazers kind of inspired him a a little bit more, you know, to kind of revive his NBA career, because I know uh, there's that video, once he got traded to the Blazers, and he was in the back of, you know, an Uber or a Lyft or something, he's like, oh, I just got traded to the Blazers, we got shooters, you know, he was all hype, and this guy, it was like, all right, is this guy really hyper, is he, is he really just, you know, going to collect his checks and come to this team and do the same thing, and it's kind of like, we're seeing that, we're seeing that Hassan Whiteside that we saw when he first burst onto the scene, you know, he tied his career high with 11 blocks, he's out there celebrating with the team and all that, getting hype, and he's been one of the, the big reasons why the Blazers are looking to turn around their season now. Absolutely, yeah. It's great to see that. Um, I, it seems like forever ago when he actually said that. I'm just trying to get my 2K rating up yeah. and, uh, on Instagram and uh, all social media platforms. Everyone was like, Hassan Whiteside, wow, funny. <laughs> and everyone was just kind of like laughing at that. So the Blazers play the Lakers tonight, actually. And it's going to be Melo versus Braun. Yes, sir. Um, and, and they've played against each other for years and years. Going back to high school, Oak Hill uh, versus St. Mary's. And then... LeBron didn't go to college, and then in, in the NBA, they had great matches. I remember when the Knicks spoiled LeBron's homecoming uh, in Cleveland, his first game back to the Cavaliers, the Knicks spoiled that and beat him. Yes, sir. Which was uh, pretty funny. I don't, I don't even really know how that <laughs> happened, but um, I don't know. It's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be nice to see these two guys compete again. So, um, going to be a fun game there. I, I see the Lakers probably taking it. Yeah. But it, it'll be nice to see them play against each other again. I have a quick fact of the day about Carl Anthony Towns. This is pretty interesting. So since his freshman season at Kentucky as a Wildcat in 2014 and 2015, Carl Anthony Towns has had an imaginary friend named Carlito. Cat says that Carlito is always invisibly perched on his shoulder, and his job is to handle any criticism that is thrown at Towns during games. That's, that's wild. That's pretty funny. <laughs> that, that is a crazy fact. Seriously, that is insane. Um... More facts like that and interesting facts on the Swish Report Instagram at the Swish Report um, for those of you that don't follow it. But back to the fact itself, that's just pretty funny. I, I, that's kind of creative to have like a – I guess that's one coping mechanism to <laughs> deal with um, like haters at games. I think Russell Westbrook could probably use that. Yeah. He, he, could, yeah, he, he could use talks a little – back a lot. Yeah, he could use a little imaginary friend on his shoulder because he obviously can't control himself. Russellito. Yeah, Russellito, something <laughs> like that. Um, Eastbrook. Yeah, if he, people are making comments about that fact and saying 
Carlito obviously wasn't there when they played the Sixers, and, and he wasn't hearing Embiid talking trash to him all game because um, Towns and him obviously uh, Towns went off because he, he got so mad he couldn't control himself anymore, and they went at it. People were saying Joe Lito has entered the chat. Yeah, right. That's right. I forgot about that. Good good memory there. No, a lot of, I, I saw a lot of comments about, like, oh, this dude has an imaginary friend, like, grow up. But it's not really about the imaginary friend. It's the concept of, you know, zoning out, um, you know, the comments from fans in away games and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, you know, my comment, of course, is that Ben Simmons choked out Carl Anthony Towns and Carlito at the same time. If you say he's on the right shoulder, yeah, he, right. Definitely, he was definitely in there. You know, that's, with, that's actually so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, now, he was choking them both I, I felt bad for Towns at first, you know, being on the ground, legs kicking. But, I mean, Carlito just got squashed right there, man. It was, that was, that was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, moving on, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks who have – it seems like it's been underrated. They've also had a great season – they are 19-3 and on the season, leading the Eastern Conference, and they've been on a 13-game win streak, led by, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has been pretty much going off with 31 points per game, uh, 13.2 rebounds per game, ranking fourth in the league, and then 5.5 assists with a 34-player-efficiency uh, rating. So he's obviously been playing fantastically. The MVP, the reigning MVP, it's not like we wouldn't expect this. When I see all these stat lines and him just having such well-rounded games and just going off I think to myself like how do they do that this every night I mean it, it must be so difficult for him and like guys like James Harden to have these ridiculous stack lines every single night it it I mean we start to take it for granted which I hate and which I've talked about before but I, 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 that's exactly what happens when you have that consistently consistently on a nightly basis I guess that kind of brings you up in a different tier uh, when people start taking these ridiculous stat lines for granted but the question certainly comes up is of like should he win back-to-back MVPs and you got guys like James Harden Luka Doncic even Trey Young um you could even throw AD and LeBron in there and you can ask the question should he win back-to-back MVPs his three-point shot has also increased a lot this season um talk to me about that a little bit what do you think yeah so in terms of his shooting splits this year um He's shooting 57% from the field, you know, which is something that we expect. You know, he's 56.7 or something like that. He's getting a lot of dunks. And the reason that that's not higher is because he's made a conscious effort to work on his perimeter shooting, which he knows is going to be big in the postseason. He said after last year's postseason that he learned a little bit about, he learned a little bit from, or a lot from Kawhi in that series about, you know, having to be a little bit more skilled in the postseason, especially when teams can cut off your strengths you know they go at your first move every single time in the playoffs you're never going to get your first move and he kind of learned that he has to be a little more skilled you know so he's you can see that in that 32 percent from the three and because he's taking a little bit more shots maybe that's why the field goal percentage might be down a a little bit but the 59 percent from the free throw line is the the large glaring thing on his um stat sheet it doesn't seem too bad right now you know we've seen some some air balls here and there, you know, Wendell Carter ducking from an air ball from, uh, from Giannis and that kind of thing. Right at the free throw line. Yeah, so I'm not too concerned with that. I think come playoff time, that'll be a little bit more important. And that's one of the reasons why people are like, oh, Giannis is, you know, he's not on that on that level as LeBron and Kawhi and KD yet because he just he just can't shoot. And that's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, that's that's the reason why we don't watch the Bucks. You know, we, we already know what Giannis is about. You know, and that's why people become complacent with Giannis a little bit. But I think that the conscious effort he's made to to build a perimeter shot will just translate to the free throw line, you know, as as time goes by. And if that happens, 
that the league should be on notice. This is very scary because for the most part, the Bucks play a five-out game, okay? They're on a 13-game win streak. Teams that are consistent and go on win streaks, they have two, di- two things. One, a superstar that can be consistent on the offensive end, and two, team defense that keeps them consistent game by game, even if shots aren't falling. So this team, even with Chris Middleton being out, um, and some of these games on this on the win streak, they've had guys like Villanova grad Dante DiVincenzo step up. You know, Wesley Matthews hit threes. Kyle Korver come off the bench, hit threes. Pat Connaughton, Robin Lopez, Ersan Eliasova. Brooke Lopez. All very good. Yeah, I, well, I'm kind of talking about the bench pieces, but Brooke Lopez oh, oh, also. Yeah. Splash Mountain. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All very good bench pieces that can come in, step up, and make plays. The same thing that we talked about the Lakers, who are also 19-3, and three, right? Right. And so... The, the big reason that Giannis is able to play very well on this team is because he has a center like Brooke Lopez that can stretch the floor for him, and they can play five out. If Giannis starts hitting threes, oh my goodness, it just opens up his entire game. You can't like fall back on him and pack the paint like the Raptors did to him in right. the playoffs, and it makes him almost unstoppable to guard. Yeah. And so that's the scary part about this. The free throws, they'll, they'll come around. I feel like for him, he'll be around 70% like he usually is. That was the thing. He was he was about 72% last year. He's around 59% this year. So oh, that's, wow. that's a huge drop-off. I didn't know that. Um, but I think the free throws will come around, and you know, even guys like back in the day, like Shaq, that were that were bad from the free throw line. It's not like they're not going to be dominant the rest of the game. Like we still see Giannis as a very dominant player. Yeah, um, I'm glad so. you, I'm glad you mentioned that with the free throws and stuff. Those are, are great stats uh, to kind of bring up. But it's it's so confusing with Giannis because you'll see him at the three point line, and if you give him space, like especially this season, he'll, he'll have that confidence. He'll he will shoot that. And, like, there's all this footage of him, like, shooting threes with confidence from a couple feet outside of the arc. Um, and then at the free throw line, he's, like, airballing. He airball some. He airballed twice in a row in one game. It was, And it's, like, I, it's just so confusing. I, mean, I don't understand how that happens. Like, a guy, a reigning MVP, who's fine dominating in the paint, but wants to expand his game even more, which is scary. Like, if you're in the gym, like, every day when you're practicing those free throws, I just don't see how... Can, can't convert. Yeah, like, you're, when you're an NBA player, an NBA MVP, I just don't see how that happens. The, the, the only reason I could think of that made any sense at all to me is this guy has insane work ethic. So we're talking about an MVP, a guy that you know definitely puts in work on the free right. throws because he knows he has to work on it. Is this guy lifting before games? Is he like, <laughs> like what is going on? And then he's and then airballing free throws because of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was the only thing I could think of. Yeah, no, <laughs> seriously, he hits the gym before he games. He's pumping iron. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's the only explanation. I don't. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, no, this guy. Speaking of work ethic, yeah, you want to see work ethic? Look at Giannis Antetokounmpo. I remember seeing, I don't know if he still does this, he probably does, but after losses, he goes to the gym after games and shoots all of the shots that he missed during that game that they lost and, and perfects it and, and like makes it. He's got to make it. So that's really interesting. I, I, I heard that like a while ago. I don't know if he still does that, but that's pretty cool. So if you want to see work ethic, that's exactly what it is right there. That's what's made him uh, an MVP coming from nothing to an MVP. I want to talk about the Indiana Pacers, which that's a team that really does not get a lot of attention. But there's some interesting takeaways from that team. Jeremy Lamb, who was acquired from the Charlotte Hornets uh, from last season, who was there for a couple of years, uh, now on the Indiana Pacers, yeah, averaging a career-high 16.6 points per game. Malcolm Brogdon also averaging a career-high in points, 18.9 points per game. Um, Giannis actually said recently that imagine if we had Malcolm still on the team. Like, imagine exactly. what the team would have oh been like. Goodness. And I think no, they they didn't trade him for anything. He just signed with the Pacers. Yeah, it, it wasn't like it wasn't something that the Bucks thought they'd be able to match or anything right. like that. So 
Except he doesn't even seem like a huge salary person. Um, I guess. Yeah, I think it was like four years, eighty million or something like that. Right. And it was like, all right, we we got Giannis to this extension. We got Bledsoe's. Bledsoe's yeah. extension was a little eye like eyebrow raising. Yeah. But you know, they they want to keep the the main core together, and so you know they had to let Brogdon walk. Right. But he's been killing it on the Pacers so far, and then T.J. Warren, who was acquired by the Pacers this season, ever since being in Phoenix all of his uh, career for five seasons. Um, I thought that was the biggest acquisition they made because T.J. Warren was always one of the most underrated players in the NBA throughout all of his time in Phoenix. I always thought that. Um, He's just been always so under the radar, and it's a mystery to me how that happened. He averaged 19.6 points per game two seasons ago on a team with Devin Booker, and that somehow went under the radar. Last year, he averaged 18 points per game. And then so far this year, he's almost got identical stats. So the Pacers are certainly getting what they were looking for, what they wanted. Um, he's averaging exactly 18 points per game so far this season as well in 21 games, um, which which is nice to see. And then 3.4 rebounds and 1.1 assists. He's also shooting 55.3% of effective field goal percentage. And so it's just all these kind of random pieces to this team that are kind of carrying the Pacers. You also got DeMontis Sabonis, uh, the yeah. young young big man um, that was traded from OKC early in his career out of Gonzaga. He was fantastic. So he's a guy that I have a lot of um, belief in. And then Miles Turner, also a young, great center. Do you have any information on Miles Turner? Yeah, I was going to say, to touch on the bigs for the for the, um, for the the Pacers, Zabonis is actually having an awesome season. Really? 18.4 points per game, 13 total rebounds per game, 3.7 assists, shooting 52% from the field and 80% from free throw. Wow, that's very so, well-rounded. Yeah, and his player efficiency rating is up over 20, 20.6. So the scoring is really being distributed for like along the whole team uh, on this Pacers team that like the scoring distribution is really even between the players mm-hmm. and then how about Turner and then Turner he's having a little bit of a down season he's only played 13 games um but he is averaging 12.2 points per game and six rebounds per game and he's also up there in uh league leaders in blocks at 2.2 per game so that's always good if you have a um if you have a center that's averaging a lot of blocks he was the block champion last year um and so he's the kind of the defensive anchor for that team, and he's really embraced that role so far this year. Yeah, I mean, Miles Turner coming out of Texas, who have produced so many great big men. Um, the Pacers and a lot of analysts, fans, all thought that Miles Turner was the future of big men in the NBA, and especially for the Pacers, the future of that team. And he's a great player, but people were con- like thought that he was going to be an all-star, and yep. I guess it, it is kind of a down season for him. Um, and, and that may be because of the distribution and evenness throughout the whole team. That's why he's his roles may be decreasing a little bit. But the Pacers have a, a kind of just I don't even know how to explain it. It's kind of just a very evened out squad there, well rounded, no big superstar uh, or leader of that team. But that's my next point. That's kind of will transition to what I want to say now. Victor Oladipo, who was the Pacers All Star last season, um, he has not played a game since January of last year. So it's coming up on a full year since he's played in an NBA game. And people were considering him to even be an MVP candidate when he was playing. You probably like, don't even remember that because no one remembers it since it was so long ago. Coming up on a year since he's played an NBA game, and despite missing over 10 months, it's still unclear as to when Oladipo is going to return. I mean, there's no news on it. Um, and people are kind of just forgetting about him because he's been injured. And so it's just concerning. No one knows when he's going to come back. and. The question is, will he come back the same player? How will it, it affect the team? Because he was that team ever since joining the Pacers. Now with this kind of even uh, distribution of scoring, 
how is that going to play out? So there are a lot of question marks in the Pacers organization right now. And as the season goes on, it depends on how late he returns or what his role is on the team, how many minutes he's playing. It could be very, very confusing for Indiana late in the season, which could kind of mess them up in the postseason if they make it. Yeah, so definitely um, a lot of times when we think about the Pacers this year and last year, a lot of people talk about a lot of underrated people and players on the Pacers that make an impact on this team and really make this team work very well. Um, last year and even two years ago, it was Oladipo coming over from Oklahoma City and becoming a very good player, you know, an all-star level player, right? The year before, or last year, it was um, guys like Boyan Bogdanovich, Miles Turner, and those type of guys that have stepped up and played above what it seems their role is when Oladipo went out. This year, like you said, Jeremy Lamb, Malcolm Brogdon, these guys are playing above what you would think their their role is, you know what I mean? But the consistent piece in all of this, and a guy who I, I think doesn't get enough credit, is the coach, Nate McMillan. Mm. I feel like he brings this all together every single year. These last three years, they've been borderline 50-win teams. You know, they've gone into the playoffs, and even though last year they got swept by the Celtics, who they, they just overmatched them with talent. Right. It wasn't like this team was a slouch. This team was looking at, you know, a three or four seed before Oladipo got hurt yeah. and ended up with the, the five seed. But they were still pushing for three or four, even with Oladipo out. People thought they would just drop out of the playoff race, you know, maybe even barely make the playoffs. They were five seed with, with room to spare. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about, you know, how's Oladipo going to fit into this system and all that type of thing, I, I really trust Nate McMillan to bring him back in into the rotation and kind of keep everybody else, you know, where they're at. But he's that type of coach where he can kind of adapt on the fly. We've seen him already do it um, with Oladipo being out, you know, and then him in before that. And I feel like Oladipo brings the dynamic to this team of they're looking for a guy to take shots at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, you don't want Brogdon taking your game winners. You don't want DeMontis Sabonis taking your game winners. I mean, they're very good players, but just being real, these guys aren't, you know, that's not what they're built for. Yeah. Yeah. A guy like Oladipo, that's the guy you look towards to bring to hit that, that game winner, to take those um, those clutch shots. And they're being very cautious with them because they know that the rest of this young core can, or not core, young core, but the rest of this core can build chemistry together, and they're still able to keep these guys afloat in the five seed. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he's a great person, too, off the court. He, he's done so much for charity and helping out his community. And he's just a great person. Of, and he's more than just a basketball player. He, he has, like, a little singing career. He's got, like, his own album yeah. out. Um, so I, I love him. He's just, I've met him before. He's just a great guy, very nice. Um, I, I love Oladipo. So it's unfortunate to see that he's been out for so long. Hopefully when he gets back, he can kind of adjust to that role again as the guy on that team, the main guy and be as dominant as he was before the injury. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be back for the final segment of the show. Welcome back in for the final segment of the Swiss Report. Let's talk about the Eastern Conference teams and their home records. They've been pretty staggering. What do you think? Read them off. Yeah, they've been insane. So the Bucks are in first place in the East, and they're 9-1 at home. Uh, they only had one loss. I think it was to the Celtics. The Celtics came back and beat them. Uh, the Celtics have been 8-0 at home almost unbeatable or pretty much unbeatable at home the heat have been 8-0 the Raptors were 9-0 at home before this week started um they had two tough home losses one in overtime to the heat um mm-hmm. and then one to the Rockets, uh, the Rockets yeah. just now that we were talking about the Sixers have the best home record in the league at 10-0 and the Pacers are also 9-2 on the road mm-hmm. so these are the top teams in the east um after these teams we Pacers you know, are 9-2 on the road or, or at home at home, at home. okay yeah and these are the top six teams in the East. The rest of the teams, you know, it's the Nets, you know, the, the Magic, you know, all those teams that are competing for the seventh and eighth spots. But 
just taking a look at these records, you know, a lot of these teams only have one or two losses. Some of them are undefeated at home and very tough environments to play in, especially I'd say um, up in Jurassic Park in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely in the garden, in the TD Garden. Um, oh, I thought you were Boston. talking about Madison Square Garden oh, for yeah. a sec. We know the Knicks' I home mean, record isn't that great. <laughs> Marcus Morris said before the season, we're not just going to let come let teams just stomp through us. I remember year, that. But, I remember but, uh, that. You know, Morris has been doing his part. But anyway, um, the Sixers, the fans just get so hyped during runs. In the second half, when you're at the free throw line, it's almost impossible to hit two straight free throws. Um, they've been 10-0 and on the uh, at home. So it's, it just goes to show that seeding could be very important in the East. Yeah. Um, especially because a lot of these teams, they don't like losing at uh, at home. Ben Simmons even said for the Sixers, uh, they're just scared of the Sixers home fans. They're scared to lose at home because of what <laughs> will happen. We all know what happened in game one of that Nets uh, series last year. They got booed off that was the court. Awesome. <laughs> um, so... I mean, like, what do you like? What do you think? Who do you think will come out of the East, and how important do you think seeding will be? Well, first of all, I, I going off of what you just said, I think seeding will be very important because, as we've seen, having the home court advantage is a huge factor in games this year. The home teams in the Eastern Conference have had the advantage of won games and have had a better chance of winning games when they're in their home court, and that comes from the passion and the energy in the arena of their of the fans, and that's great to see uh, for the NBA. So, obviously, I think seeding is going to be very important um, come the postseason. So, I think that teams really have to think about that during the regular season. It's not just a time to slack off, just make the postseason, and then you're good, you're in. It's like this is an important part of the game now. So, For sure. And, and this is like increasingly more than past years, having this home court advantage. In past years, it seemed like it doesn't really make a difference if you're home or away. Certainly don't do that with the Lakers. I mean, now going to the West, I mean, because they're both yeah. LA, but um, LA and, and the Clippers. I mean, that would be an interesting home court advantage. Yeah. <laughs> even the opening night, you saw like fifty fifty. Probably even more Lakers fans. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, the Eastern Conference is is definitely open for all teams, and it's gonna be fun to watch. Um, I, yeah, it's gonna be fun to see who comes out of the East. I, it's hard to say right now, yeah, because it seems like teams are still adjusting twenty two games into the season. Um, but yeah, it, it's coming up, and I can I can kind of develop thoughts later. Right now, I mean, obviously the Bucks are ruling it, but you never know if the Sixers might make a comeback. What what I was gonna mention? Sorry, I I forgot about this. Um, about, speaking of home court advantage, and you were talking about Ben Simmons, how he's like afraid of Philadelphia fans, yeah. or whatever. Well, I went to Game Six last year of when they're facing the Raptors when they crushed them at home and being in Philly he's so right and this is not a joke and they're not just saying that in Philly at home it is truly a super heated environment he's got energetic I mean it is these fans are just like vehemently cheering I mean they're on the this edge of their seats the entire game even when they're blowing them out and they let other fans hear it it's scary to be a fan there I mean heck with, heck with being a player um, at Game Six, so I was like neutral. I think I was wearing like a wed or wed red sweatshirt, um, and so I was like just neutral. Oh, actually, the Raptors were wearing red that game, but still, yeah. but still, I was like kind of I was rooting for the Sixers, um, and the, it was just awesome the environment in there. It was so awesome. Those fans back that team so much. They love that team, that city, um, and there were two Raptors fans. They're both wearing Vince vintage. Vince Carter Raptors jerseys, nice. which were pretty cool, by the way. And these Raptors hats, like these flat brim hats, and they had, like, great seats. Um, and every time, they were so supportive of their team. I respected their support. Every time the Raptors scored, they were both standing up. They were like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. And um, 
um, uh, every time, like, when they were started to get down and they were losing and they started to leave, well, first of all, fans were getting into it with them in the game. Like, I, I, was, sitting, <laughs> I was sitting near them, and fans were going at them, and, like, one of the Raptors fans was like, I love your positivity, sir. And he was being <laughs> sarcastic, and I was like, oh, gosh. And, um, these Canadians. And when they were, yeah, these Canadians, yeah, Canadians are so nice. But uh, when they were leaving, everyone was booing them. Everyone. <laughs> everyone was getting, they were like, bye. Everyone was waving goodbye. They are like, see ya. It was, it was like, oh, gosh, give them a break. But, hey, that's Philly basketball. That's the mentality. I love it. Um, and Ben Simmons, like, in times where he would make a play, he embodies, like, that Philly mentality as well. Like, he's like, nope, you're not getting it easy today, and, like, the fans love it. It's great. But um, I just had to mention that little story there. Yes, sir. Let's talk about Kobe Bryant to end off the sub- subject. Now, that's a little weird we're mentioning him. He's not in the league anymore, not putting up his 100-shot attempts uh, in his last season with the Lakers. We don't really talk about him too much, but... He's coaching his daughter's AAU team. And he, we've seen a few Instagram posts in the past. About the Mambasitas. Yeah. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Mambasitas, yeah. Um, I forgot about that name. But he, he's obviously a very intense coach. As we know, he's got the Mambo mentality um, of pure intensity and competitiveness. And he's brought that to his daughter's uh, little league team. Do you think he would make a good coach in the NBA? How good of a coach would Kobe be? So this is interesting. I kind of thought about this only because I see the posts about him, you know, coaching his daughters and all that. And I feel like he definitely has like a soft spot for his daughter. So he's probably not too hard on them as he would be on like, you know, if he was coaching NBA guys. Mm -hmm. But also, um, you know, in a game about three or four weeks ago, um, Greg Popovich got ejected from the game. And who comes in to coach the team? Tim Duncan. So really? Tim Duncan's actually on that coaching staff. He's one of the lead assistants well, along I, with... Um, I knew that, yeah. Uh, Becky, uh, Becky Hammond. Hammond. Yeah, yeah, Becky Hammond. So um, I, I kind of thought about, you know, what if Kobe were to coach the Lakers or something like that? What if he kind of, you know, gave LeBron the secrets to... Everybody says LeBron doesn't have that dog in him or stuff like that. What if he gave LeBron the secrets to, you know, the mama mentality? Yeah. But, you know, for me, I think of Kobe as a very tactical guy. Um, I think that he's somebody that can... He can coach players well, but I feel like he might not connect to teammates as well as maybe other coaches might yeah. be able to. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be cool to see him coach a team, but I feel like uh, like a better position with him would be, you know, an owner or, you know, a GM. I feel like he'd be a very good, um, you know, piece, like, in terms yeah. of uh, mentally, like, like those moves and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I could see him as a good GM, so, for sure. you know, coaching might might not be it, but, I mean, if, Co- if Kobe was a coach, that'd be insane. I mean, he'd be on the refs, you know, about yeah. all the rules, all the travels, and I, all that. I don't think Kobe would make a great coach because, like, he, he's, as a teammate, he was one to push his teammates and make them the best. I feel like he would do that same thing as a head coach, or, or just as a coach, um, is try to push his players to be the best that they can. And I feel like that would frustrations and tensions would grow between that player and coach relationship. It's very different from being a teammate and pushing your teammates than a coach and pushing your players. Right. So, so I don't know how that would work out well. I don't see it going very well. Um, it, it's like getting on your guys 24-7. And they're professionals too. Now, Kobe Bryant is obviously one of the most credible people to take advice from, to listen to if you're going to listen to anyone. But I still think he has that kind of player relationship with everyone. Yeah. Um, and I don't think – maybe in like years from now, but – I don't think any, like anywhere near coach. now. Yeah, I don't yeah. think anywhere near now he would be ready for a head coach or it would be effective. GM or president or owner, I, I would I think would be fine though. Yeah, for sure. For an organization. Um, speaking of that news, like John Beeline of the Cavs, uh, former Michigan coach, was very successful there. 
he uh, like news just came out that players are actually becoming frustrated with him because he's treating them like college players. Yeah, like, they're kind of zoning out his yeah, voice now. Exactly. He's over coaching a little yelling, bit. Yelling yelling at them to like jump on ground or diving on balls and and, and getting after it, hustling. It's, it's very different the college game and the NBA game. We've seen this with coaches before with John Calipari, Rick Pitino. Yep. It it, it does not work level. with yeah, it does not work with some coaches who cannot make that transition from college to NBA. It's so different. And some coaches like those two guys I just mentioned, or three guys really, um, even though we're still kind of seeing with Beeline, are meant for college basketball, and that's why they've been so successful there. One coach that made a perfect transition from the college game to the NBA game was Brad Stevens. He was successful at Butler, took that team, or coached that team to two national championships, one where Gordon Hayward was inches away from yep. nailing a shot to beat Duke um, from the half-court line. But anyways, he was a fantastic coach there, and he made that perfect transition to the NBA with some players even older than him on the, on his roster. He, he just coached them the perfect way, um, the right amount of energy, the right, the right amount of trust in his players, and in that relationship, and that just embodies a fantastic coach right there. He, yeah. He's shown it through their success so far. So yeah, You definitely have to have trust, and that goes back to the main point about going from college to the NBA is the power structure. You know, in college, it's kind of like, you do what the head coach says to do, or you're going to lose your scholarship, right. and you're not going to be able to go to the school for free anymore. Yeah, and Whereas, you're just not going to play. Exactly. Whereas in the NBA, it's kind of like, all right, the coaches have, or the players, a lot of the players have more leverage than the coaches. And that's why I always see, oh, LeBron's the coach of the yeah. Heat, not yeah. Eric Spolstra, and things like that. Because LeBron's the, players, the coach of the Cavs, not David Blatt. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> David Blatt, I didn't even remember him. But anyway, it's like... It's, you know, understanding that power structure. It's why, you know, you see in the NFL, a lot of these college coaches, they don't want to give up their job to go coach the NFL because they know there's so many things you have to take care Wait, of. did you say NFL? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. NFL, I thought you, know, you made a mistake there, like, sorry. No, no, yeah. Like, a lot of these NFL coaches, they like, they, or the a lot of the college uh, coaches, they like coaching in college because they have all their structure in place and there's no, like, star players. Even if you are a star player, you still are leveraged by the scholarship. And it's the same thing from going to coach in college to going to coach the NBA. So I can see why a coach like uh, Beeline, you know, would be overcoaching, you know, telling these guys to do this and that because he's just used to doing all that at Michigan. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he can adjust to that. And if not, maybe, maybe might, want to go back down Fis- to college. Yeah, might get that Fisdale treatment. Speaking of head coaches, by the way, we should probably mention this uh, for this last part of the show, this breaking news for the Knicks, who just got rid of David Fisdale, that Mike Miller will be taking over as the interim head coach um, for the time being. So Miller, he was a part of the Miami Heat and that championship team. He used to rain threes. Yes, uh, I'll never forget. Do you remember when he hit that three pointer with one shoe? Yeah, that was so that was awesome. Insane. That's what I remember. I used before. to I used to love Mike Miller um, when he was on the Heat as just that addition, that shooter. He was fant- he shot the lights out. He was uh-huh. awesome, but. How do you think it's going to work out with the Knicks? Yeah, I want to see immediately what the starting lineup looks like because I don't think any other coach would be starting Frank Tilakina, who is the guy that the Knicks have... Uh, that's Nilakina, by the way, okay. ...have pretty much been crucifying <laughs> for the last two years, talking about... Put some respect on his name. They should have drafted Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> He's out here getting bullied by LeBron. No, I'm just playing. But anyway, <laughs> I think a lot of people would have started Dennis Smith Jr. or Frank Nilakina. So I want to see how the rotation uh, goes and what the starting lineup looks like. Um in terms of the rotation, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking forward to it. Um, I love Mike Miller as a player. I don't really know him too well as a person or or how well he knows the game, but that's all going to be put to the test as now the head coach of the New York Knicks, one of the biggest franchises 
in the NBA, um, money-wise, not like in terms of yeah, wins yeah, and losses. Yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, yeah, it's all going to be put to the test, and we'll see how good or bad he is. And you never know, maybe this will be permanent. So, as a Knicks fan, I'm excited for change. Looking, I'm open to it, and uh, looking forward to a new beginning uh, to, for the Knicks as they've had this terrible start of the season. Thank you so much for listening to the Swish Report. We'll be back at it soon. Lots of fun things happening in the NBA. And um, enjoy the Christmas season. Peace out.